This morning we're looking at Luke chapter 23, uh, verses 1 through 31. Um, I was impressed that after Jan prayed, we had a, a moment of silence. And yet in the midst of that silence, I know that God is listening to the prayers that are on your hearts. And sometimes silence is really golden because there's more that can be said in silence than can often be said out loud. And that is something, just having said that, I struggle with. Went to visit Kay in the hospital this week and, and uh, she said something interesting. I don't know why she said it, but she just sort of looked at me or said to Jan, said, his mind is continually thinking about things. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. And sometimes I'm sitting there talking to somebody. This is confession time. This is not good. I'm not going to encourage anybody to do this. But you, you sit there talking to somebody, and they're saying things, and they say something that triggers a thought in me, and I'm already making up my mind how I'm going to respond, and I'm working on what I want to say instead of listening to what they're saying. And before they finished, Jan says, you do this all the time, you interrupt people. And so I'm sitting there interrupting people <laughs> because I want to get in what I want to say instead of actually listening. I, I struggle. I've done that my whole life. And, and so if I do it to you, just put up your hand. Let me know. I have to stop until you finished. <laughs> okay. Feel free to interrupt my interruptions. Uh, and it'll maybe teach me how to uh, behave properly and listen to what people have to say. The amazing thing is, though, that sometimes silence is more communicative than words. Not that words aren't valuable or important. We know that God's given us a lot of words that are really critical and important for us. And uh, we need to listen to them, too. But um, I guess getting older, being forgetful helps me a little bit because uh, I forget what I was going to say <laughs> so that I don't say it. Unfortunately, sometimes I forget what was said to me. And uh, I realize with age that I don't have to be right all the time. But I did used to argue with my wife a lot because I wanted to get it absolutely right, whatever it was, it had to be absolutely right and absolutely correct, absolutely truthful. And later on, I realized that we ended up arguing about things that were totally inconsequential and not necessary. <laughs> it really didn't make any difference whether I saw the sign this way or she saw it that way. It really had no effect on anything. and. Uh, and it was just a waste of words. There are times when our words in such cases can be more detrimental than valuable. And there are times when just being silent actually speaks louder than words. And those are the times when we need to put our faith in God's ways and trust him to do what he has already committed to do 
that instead of trying to do his work by speaking out, we need to be silent and trust God that in the midst of this, he's going to bring about a result. And his results are always better than ours. Our text this morning demonstrates this in the life of Jesus. So let's look at Luke chapter 23, verses 1 to 31. It's a bit long, but it's a great story. So read along or listen and be encouraged. Then the whole body of them arose and brought him before Pilate. Just to remind you, Jesus had been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, just finished his Passover meal, he just prayed, Judas comes to betray him, and he's taken away with this band of people with their clubs and swords and bring him to the high priest's home where he's gone through the first of four trials, as Luke describes it. And this whole body now has risen up, and they bring him. He's been to the Sanhedrin, 71 of the chief priests and scribes, the lawyers that are all there. There's this body and these, these thugs that are there. All of them get up, and they bring Jesus now to uh, the legal authority the Supreme Court, you would say, of the land. And that is the Roman delegate Caesar's own personal ambassador that he has set up who has the right uh, to uh, kill people. He strings them up all the time. He's a brutal man. We've already read that previously. Bloodthirsty guy. He didn't have any trouble just killing people off in Galilee. We've heard about the evilness of this man. And the other one, Herod, Jan just told us about his evil intents as well. And he's going to come up shortly. Okay, and they began to accuse Jesus, him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is the Messiah Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, It's what you say. And Pilate said to the chief priests and the multitudes, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. But when Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at that time. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time, because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some signs performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, 
for before that they had been at enmity with each other. And Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of the people, and he said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. Now, he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out all together, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas! Now, he was the one who had been thrown into prison for a certain insurrection made in the city. And for murder. And Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And they said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were insistent, with loud voices asking that he be crucified, and their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand should be granted. And he released the man they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And when they led him away, they laid hold of one Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And there were following him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, Stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, for behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that have never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green tree, what will happen in the dry? And two others who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. Father, bless your word this morning to our hearts. In Jesus' name. Well, we've got three more trials. The thing that gets me is that all four of these trials happen within eight hours. Talking about swift justice. Remember the cock crowed, the sun was coming up early in the morning when they brought him to the Sanhedrin. Trial number one. Now they go from the Sanhedrin after having condemned him for blasphemy 
and they bring him before Pilate, and they have to have reasons why he should legally be put to death, and the only things that they can come up with are lies. Not only do they have no witnesses in the Sanhedrin that would allow them to stone Jesus to death for blasphemy, but they come and they bring him before Jesus and accuse him of the very things that he didn't do. You remember the story about the taxes when they said, do we pay taxes? And he says, well, <laughs> you know, whose inscription is on the coin? Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things to God that are God's. He, he's not against paying taxes. A matter of fact, he, he told Peter to go out and go fishing, and when he got to fishing, he was going to look in its mouth, and he'd find some coins, and he said, go pay your taxes and my taxes. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he paid taxes. We, we, he's not an insurrectionist. They're saying to him that he's stirring up the people all over Galilee, Judea, Samaria. Well, the multitudes did follow him because he healed the sick and he raised the dead and he opened the eyes of the blind. <laughs> Hardly a, a, an insurrection. They claim that he is the Christ, a king, but when he made that very accusation in front of the Sanhedrin, he didn't respond. Because his understanding of kingdom is radically different to the kingdoms of this world. So when the question is raised, Pilate, who later on is actually going to put a signpost above his cross saying that he is the king of the Jews. He's not threatened by this king. Personally, he's not threatened. Rome is not threatened. Caesar is not threatened. His soldiers are not threatened. And he says to this guy, are you the king? He says, well, you're the one saying it. I'm not saying that. In the midst of all of this, he comes up Three times, Pilate three times finds nothing, nothing other than innocence in the life of Jesus. A bloodthirsty man who doesn't have any trouble killing people for the drop of a coin to keep the peace finds nothing in Jesus. Nothing. Goes to Herod. Herod can't find anything wrong with him. All he wanted was to see some miracles that he'd heard about from the life of Jesus, and Jesus says nothing. The only words that Jesus has spoken up to this point is, you said it. <laughs> Those are your words, they're not mine. He says, you said it. I mean, it's, <clears throat> he, he's not defending himself. He's not trying to contradict anybody. He is being silent in the face of all these accusations that are being thrown up against him 
by a riotous lynch mob that's out there. I've been to the Praetorium, and I've stood there. You can get a couple hundred people in, I'm sure. You're not going to get the crowds in, the multitudes that follow Jesus, but I'm sure that I don't know who all the people are that were actually there, other than the chief priests and scribes, the thugs that they had with them that they brought along. I'm sure in my own mind, this is just me, okay? This is not scripture. I think that they must have found some of the followers of Barabbas. And it must have told them something like, you know, we get somebody free. We could get your leader out of here if you'll do this. Interesting. That's just my personal assumption that they're looking for people that they can use to exchange for Jesus. And this lynch mob starts shouting, crucify him. Look at this. Lies, deceptions, pressure, riding mobs are present to prevail over justice. And in the midst of it, a man who is not particularly keen on justice, but instead on raw power, he has the ability to do whatever he wants, in essence, and finds him innocent of the charges brought against him of insurrection against Rome. The second time, he finds him innocent of leading the people astray. And the third time, he finds him innocent of anything deserving death and basically says, why, why are you doing this? (laughs) It doesn't compute within his mind and he has nothing. Why is this so important? Three times that the Romans say, I find him innocent. Herod finds him innocent. These are not good people necessarily, but they have nothing that they can bring up that can be against Jesus. The only ones that are in the process of trying to see their will being imposed are the chief priests and scribes whom Jesus has constantly over the last several months, constantly exposed the sin of their hearts, their lack of faith in God, their desire for control and rulership and power over the people as opposed to a real love of God in their lives. And a mob that can be incited to cry out, crucify him. It's amazing what can happen to a mob. If you ever went to a soccer game in England, you'll find that people get pretty excited to the point that I led several young people to the Lord. Their joy in life was going to soccer matches to start fights. That's what they did. They they were hooligans, (laughs) and they had to start setting up fences to keep the hooligans off of the field because they just went there to stir up trouble. That's what they did. I, 
I, I don't compute. My mind doesn't compute with people like that. But I, I'm sitting there thinking, there are people that just get excited when there's something to shout about and get excited about. And so they whipped up a crowd. Notice there's a difference between a crowd and a multitude. Did you notice there's a difference? There's a crowd in front of Pilate that's shouting crucify him. When Jesus is being led out, there is a multitude that is following him. There's a difference. <laughs> you have a multitude and women, and then you have this crowd. In all of this that's happening, he is being whipped, he's being beaten, he's being clubbed. Jesus is not only being persecuted, but he's being whipped. When the cat and nine tails was used, it's a leather straps with pieces of bone tied at the other end. And when they whip you with it, they get a guy out there that uses his full strength. And the claws of the bone dig into your flesh and it basically just erupts your whole back. As they whip it, the, the flesh opens up, the blood comes out, it's being splattered all over everything. They do it 39 times because they know it's one whiplash short of death. Thirty-nine times. When I was a kid back in those days, I guess it wasn't illegal. My dad used a belt on me. He only did it three times. It hurt. <laughs> and there was no blood. You know, I mean, left an impression, but I, I was never injured. And I'm looking at Jesus declared innocent brutally beaten, at least on three different occasions in the process and not raising his voice. Not defending himself. The decision made in the Garden of Gethsemane was final. He knew the will of the Father he was committed to the will of the Father, and he was going to be obedient to the will of the Father. And the only time he opens his mouth in all of this other than to tell Pilate what he said <laughs> is when he sees the women in despair on the way to Calvary. And he turns to them and he says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. And he begins to prophesy to them about what the prophet Hosea in chapter 10 said, that the, the mountains and the hills are going to come down and cover you. He speaks to them, the daughters of Jerusalem, who are weeping as he wept over the city of Jerusalem. And this is a type of the city that he's speaking to of what will come in about 40 years' time in the destruction of the city. And in the presence of this, not only does he speak prophetically 
knowing that this is why he came to speak God's word. When it was appropriate, that's when he did it. Now, I'm sitting here thinking about this incredible event of a man who knows that he has done no wrong. And now I start to look at all the individuals, all the people that are surrounding Jesus in this period of time. There's a special group of people that are being affected by his silence. He doesn't defend himself. Why? Because he knows that he is going to take upon himself the sin of the whole world. He who knew no sin, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, became sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we who are sinners are going to be set free. The price of your deliverance and your freedom and your eternal security, the price is going to be his obedience to the Father to take upon himself all that the world can pour out of evil onto him. All the injustice in the world is going to be poured onto him. All of the sin and the selfishness is going to be poured onto him. Look at it. Pilate is going to pronounce judgment on an innocent man. An abuse of power. Look at the chief priests and the scribes who lie knowing that they're lying. For their own personal gain. For their own personal power that they're going to have trying to overcome, they are willing to sacrifice someone who is innocent so that they can get the upper hand. Look at the mob that just goes along for the ride. Maybe they're going to get somebody out that they like. Think about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who are part of the Sanhedrin, who are disciples of Jesus, somehow caught up in the midst of this secret disciples of Jesus who were with all of them and, and yet being pushed along inwardly. The battle going on inside their righteous minds and hearts. The disciples who have fled and disappeared. Jesus had called them individually to come after him. One who never sees Jesus, but who is in jail for insurrection and murder, deserving death, and knows that he deserves death, walks free because of Jesus. What's going on in his heart and his mind as he walks out of jail and they're telling him to get lost? And he's going, why, why? And he hears that Jesus took his place in death. What goes on in the heart of a man who has just encountered freedom when he deserved 
something else, and suddenly he's looking, going, my goodness, that man didn't deserve what he gets. He took my place. Powerful, powerful message, isn't it? If you know what you deserve and somebody took your place. Of all the disciples that were with Jesus for the three and a half years, they have to find somebody who is a proselyte that comes from the country. He, he's from Cyrene. He, he's, he's not even from Judea. And, and he lives out and he's just coming in for the Passover. And he comes in and they stop him along the way. And the language that Luke uses to write this is that when they put the cross on him, he is following Jesus as a disciple. What is going on when they place that wood on his back and the blood from the bloody back of Jesus now is going through his clothes and filling his cheek and his neck and the blood is all there. What does he feel? What does he think as he's following Jesus up the hill towards Calvary? The multitude is there who know that this is not right and yet they feel that they are not empowered to do anything that if they did anything it would be their own death because of the soldiers that are lining the roads to protect it. The women who followed Jesus and ministered to his needs and know the righteousness of this man who is being led away in the wailing and the grief and the sorrow that they feel when they see Jesus going away. They're not being paid to do this. What's going on in their minds as they struggle to see Jesus walking past them, struggling to stand, having fallen under the weight of the cross that he was carrying? And he turns and speaks comfort to them. interesting, isn't it? It's the women that he speaks to. It's the women that are going to be the first to the grave. (laughs) Interestingly enough. Which is kind of counterculture in that day. In the midst of all these things, these people, each one has an incredible personal encounter with Jesus and he doesn't have to say anything for the message to come across. That's powerful. That is incredibly powerful. There is no defense. There is no You guys have got it all wrong. He has said, like he said in the Garden of Eden, it's the hour of darkness, it's yours. And he suffers the indignant four 
four trials within a short span that they're able to get everybody together to pass their judgment and says nothing. Every last one of them will live with that in their minds for the rest of their lives. The soldiers who whipped him, who carted him off, who guarded him, who saw how he was going to the Calvary, the ones who were involved in the riotous mob, the lynch mob, the ones who were involved in, in lying, Every last one of them. I don't know how some of them slept at night. I don't know how others were able to, to cope with the issues going on inside their hearts because they had just witnessed the most incredible miscarriage of justice the world has ever seen. And in the midst of that, in the midst of it. Each one has a different story to tell. Each one of them. We don't read their stories. But I'm sure that they told it to their children and their grandchildren and anybody else that would listen. I'm sure that Simon's going to have something incomprehensible about the power of God and the power of the blood that stained his clothes. I'm sure that, that the disciples who had left are struggling with the reality of what's taking place, of what they had thought might happen that didn't and it's gone haywire everything's gone astray I don't know how Barabbas lives I know that there are traditions that tell us about this or that or the other but, but I don't know how the guy lives with himself knowing that an innocent man took his place How do we live with ourselves knowing that an innocent man took our place? See, it wasn't just the lies that the chief priest told. It's the lies you told. It's not just the the evil that they had in their riotous hearts. It's the evil that lurks within us that when we get angry and upset and shout, yell, belittle people, call them names. See, it's not, it's not just the murderous one, it's the one who hates his brother. You see, it's not, it's not just Barabbas for whom Jesus died. 
was Pilate, it was Herod, it was the chief priests, it was the scribes, it was the crowd, the riotous crowd, it was Barabbas, it was the soldiers, it was the ones that came to get him in the garden, it was the ones that, that Pilate had authority over, it was the ones that Herod had authority over. It was, it was Simon that they take him out, it was the folks who whipped him, it was the folks as he's making his way who are crying along the side of the road, it was Simon who picked up the cross, it was the others who are trying to maintain the peace. It is the multitude roundabout who's looking and gazing upon Jesus and realizes that what's happening here is not just an injustice, but it is the will of God because God loves them. And Jesus was willing for the love of God to obey his Father and suffer the indignity of death on the cross to take the curse upon himself so that you and I can walk free of the curse. The curse of sin, the slavery of sin, the power of sin, the deceitfulness of sin, the anger of sin. Jesus walked that walk without a word because without words he is preaching to your heart and soul as well as to mine. The power of this walk to Calvary ingrained in the hearts not just of the people who were there, but in Luke who is writing it, and in you and me who have just read it. And anybody else afar, wherever they're from, in whatever language that they can pick it up and either hear it being read or can read it themselves, the truth is that they too are included in this walk to Calvary. See, your story is going to be your story. But when you encounter Jesus, that can be the difference in your story. When you walk with Jesus, that can be the difference in your story. The struggle that you and I have is how do we deal with things when they come up and we see sin raising its ugly head again. Why? Why do we yield to the temptation? Maybe we need to go back to that garden and pray as Jesus did. Pray that you will not enter temptation. Maybe we need to Go back and relive the things that Jesus did in our lives. And then open up our hearts to say, Lord, I yearn for renewal and revival in my own heart. I need you to come with your power, with your glory, with your presence, and deal with the things in my life 
that need to be broken so that your love can be poured out in and through me to others. We need to see the kingdom of God expanding throughout our community. We need to see the kingdom of God coming. And the place where it's going to begin is in your heart and in my heart. That's where it, that's where it starts. That's where it starts, where we start changing the things that we think about and the things that we say and how we say it. And sometimes we may need to be silent and let our silence speak. Lord Jesus, as we look at all these people who have encountered you in a unique way, we too each have a unique story of how we encounter you. And your heart's desire is that we be drawn as you're lifted up, that we be drawn to you. And as we're drawn to you, Lord, we want to see others drawn to you as well. Our neighbors, our relatives, our friends. We yearn to see, Father, a renewal that will come in the midst of a society that is so against you and against your word and against your laws and against your spirit. As we see that, that there are many things round about us that would resemble life as it was back in the first century, how evil seems to be called good and good is called evil and people seem to follow after their own will and desire their wills to be done. What a condemnation when Pilate handed Jesus over to their will. And I sit there and I say, Lord, it's not my will, but it's your will that needs to be done. Help me, Lord Jesus, to become one who hears and responds to words of life, for they can be found in none other but in you. And may those words so impact my life that whether I speak them or not, they will impact others that I meet and encounter. And I ask that, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you need to make a commitment today to Jesus and ask him to renew you in your life, in your heart, I ask you just to come down here and kneel at the one of these stairs and just pray to God and ask Jesus to bring renewal to your heart. Ask him to refresh and renew your life. We're going to sing our final hymn, 317, Only Trust Him. And while we're singing, feel free to come and pray here at the front. Pray and ask Jesus.
to renew you and your trust in Him.